Hello, and welcome to Thrive, a podcast that gives you strategies and inspiration to help you live your best life. Learn from us, two cancer survivors, as we show you how we don't just survive, but thrive. Hi, I'm Garth Callahan. I am a seven-time cancer thriver, but more importantly, I'm the Napkin Notes Dad. I've been writing notes to my daughter, Emma, and sticking them into her lunch ever since kindergarten. Hi, I'm Dara, the creator of crazyperfectlife.com, a place to go to help you find meaning each day and live your best life. I'm also the author of Crushed Cancer, available on Amazon. We have such a treat for you today. We are so blessed to have Elena Lipson here as our guest. She is an intuitive leadership and self-care coach, transformational speaker, and retreat leader. She is the creator of the 66 Sacred Rituals, the Divine Self-Care Circle, the Virtual Retreat Academy, and most recently, the Meditations and Musings podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. That intro about the notes almost made me get emotional. Like, oh, just love it. I love what you both do. Thank you so much for having me here. You've created so many beautiful tools to help people really all over the world. So, I mean, I was thinking that as I was reading your intro. Thank you. And I will say I'm actually having a really tough time with the notes this year because my daughter's at college. And <laughs> and so really what I've been doing is I've been writing notes in batches and leaving them with her. And that's not the same as creating that daily connection. So I decided this semester I was not going to do that anymore. And I you, wrote... You didn't tell me that. Well, because we, have, we haven't really chatted with each other much. Um, yeah. Emma just went back on Thursday and I decided to write enough notes to last her for about 10 days. But what I'm going to do is, um, and I started today, I'm going to write a note to her every day for the future, but that way I have that daily connection back and I'm thinking about her first thing in the morning and mm -hmm. she will, you know, she'll get a nice package every other week or so from dad. Okay. I have a question for you then, because <laughs> I was just putting myself in the place of the daughter and my dad passed away when I was about 24 and we, we just didn't, you know, you don't have that connection. I, I was feeling like what it would feel like to have that. So does your daughter, I mean, it must be part of her landscape of her day too. Does she miss it? Or she, I mean, does she say anything? Like, how is it going to work? Or Well, so she, she knew that I was going to come up with something. And yeah. so for the first semester, every time I saw her, I had like this big envelope of notes. Or actually what I did on the first drop-off last September is we dropped her off and she didn't go back to her room for a little while. And I took a bunch of napkin notes and I tucked them under her teddy bear's arm. And so she does expect those notes. And sometimes I date them so she knows, okay, this note is for a specific day. One of the nice things she shared with me mid-semester was that she has to really discipline herself because she has such a big pile of notes now that if she's not careful, she'll read them all. And she won't have anything for the next day. Oh, that is so sweet. I think, you know, I, I'm a big ritual and rhythms person too. And I think it's so meaningful to create. It's part of the work I do. I think it's why it's so powerful. Cause like, I mean, I believe in the daily mindset and the practices I teach are very little. And that's a, such a profound example of connecting with someone in a way that I mean, nourishes you, nourishes her, but also it's like a legacy. It really is a legacy. So well done. I'm so excited. I think it's, I don't, I don't know. It's just making me teary. I think it's beautiful. Well, let me share one other quick thing that I, I started. Okay. I swear this is 2019. I swear that I will not get teary eyed in at least 50% of the podcast recordings that we do. Um, I don't think that's 
true. So first of all, that's definitely, that's definitely not true. <laughs> uh, I really have felt a little alone since she went back and it's only been a few days. So I started saying goodnight to her out loud. Mm-hmm. So as I go to sleep, I say, goodnight, Emma, wherever you are. Mm, Garth, that makes me want to cry. <laughs> Oh my gosh. What you know what you could do? You could like you could actually Skype her or you could send her a text. You could actually send that to her. You don't have to say it into the I mean you are sending her that positive energy, but in today's technology world, Garth, you could actually you could send a voice text. I mean a voice text every night. Yes, a voice text. I love that. All right, we'll 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 do that and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, Elena, you have a son and you homeschool him. Mm -hmm. So you're not really even packing any lunches. You are just kind of, I guess, having lunch with him every day, right? Well, so yes and no. So we never intended to homeschool. It wasn't our plan. So it's not really something I have even fully wrapped my mind around, to be quite (laughs) honest with you. And I have a very, my husband is extremely participatory, whatever word, Uh (laughs) he's in it. He's out there right now. They're doing their stuff. So I, I couldn't that. do it alone. I wouldn't do it alone. He works shift work. So he's home during the days. So that's how we make it work. He actually was in a Waldorf school since up until fifth grade. And then he just, it wasn't working and we couldn't figure out another alternative. So homeschool it was. And we actually do, a, it's kind of a co-op-ish kind of place, but it's a partnership program run by a local organization. And so he does take a few classes a week. So he does get that external teacher kind of thing happening as well. So I do pack lunches a few days a week, but it's been probably the biggest, well, one of the biggest because parenthood in general, right, is a spiritual awakening in many ways. But this has been another level of just trust in how we do things. So I've recorded pod like a series of three podcasts reflecting on how we did this because so many women were asking me, like, how do you balance it all? Entrepreneurship and motherhood and relationships and self-care. And so I took a year to really do it and then recorded three podcast episodes of like breaking down before, during and after. And so it's been great. It's been like a spiritual evolution quantum style. Well, you have led such an interesting life. Tell everyone, because you've lived really all over the world. Well, I was born, I didn't have control where I was born, but (laughs) I was born in Russia. And I think, I remember being very acutely aware. Once we moved to New York when I was about six years old, it was like that immigrant journey where parents wanted a better life, moved to New York. That was one of the paths that people took in the 80s. So we went to New York, lived in Italy for a while, which I, my mother says that she wanted to stay in Italy. And so we must share like a love for all things Italian because I wish I'd lived in Italy. I'm like, why didn't we just stay there? I could have been an Italian native, like, you know, practically speaking Italian. So I love Italy, but we ended up in New York City, which I essentially became my like cellular home because it's everything. It's where I grew up. I just thought, why would anyone live anywhere else? Because you have everything from fashion to food, Uh education to diversity, everything. It was just where I, I thought I'd live forever, which didn't happen. But I remember being very acutely aware that coming from another place, speaking another language and learning another language gave me the ability to see the world in multiple ways, because if there's multiple ways to say a word, then there's multiple ways to see life. And that was something that really influenced how I live in general. I'm a very much like my Myers-Briggs, all my personality testing in the corporate world puts me smack in the middle. Like I'm the one you want at your negotiation table because I could see all sides. And I think that really influenced how I live. And plus communication just comes really naturally to me. 
when I finished uh, university on the East Coast, my sister had moved to California and I had just about had my last snowstorm. <laughs> and so I decided to move to California, love the sunshine, really influenced that, my physical experience in the world. I realized I love the sun. I love nature. I, New York City wasn't that much of an influence in my nature awareness <laughs> versus my world culture awareness. So then in California, I got very clear that I need to be by the water, I need to be around trees, I need to put my feet on the ground and sand. So it really influenced me in my 20s. Met my husband, the market was going crazy, the housing market. We started talking about having kids and just that whole next stage of life. So we ended up moving up here to where we are now, which is Bellingham, Washington, the Pacific Northwest. Never even heard of this place. Why would anyone move to the Pacific Northwest? It <laughs> rains all the time, right? So it, it again, I think each place influenced me in its own unique way. Here, I learned to be who I am, regardless of where I am, learn to appreciate the rain for what it brings, but also allow myself to ask the better questions like, okay, so it's raining. And I'm feeling sad. Why? Why am I really sad? Like it just became my spiritual journey. So the combination of having a baby moving to a new place, a place that wasn't my number one choice, weather wise, it almost like it was a triple storm, like the perfect storm of having that spiritual awakening. I was already a spiritual person in general, very aware of my influence on my world, relationships, my language, how I, I started reading Four Agreements and Wayne Dyer and Tony Robbins years ago, like in my you know early 20s or even my teens. And so I had a spiritual awareness. But here is where the idea of self-care, the idea of influencing your thoughts, and your environment and your relationships in a way that was more based on who I wanted to be instead of like letting the outside world be there, but letting me sort of lead the way in how I wanted to live my life. That makes sense. <laughs> like more, yes. more full of my inner world, right? No, I love it. So tell everyone what self-care means to you, because I think a lot of people don't even really get what that word means. Yeah. And every year I question the word because different people have different relationships. So first and foremost, I believe you define your relationship with self-care, period. Like I can't tell you what nourishes your soul. I can tell you best practices, but I can't tell you. So for me, it's an awareness that in order to be able to live in a way that I want to, which is be a caring mother, be a kick-ass coach for my clients, you know, run a business, be a wife who is present in a way that is more friend-like, you know, just really have those relationships in my life that are meaningful, that I need to be that person first to myself. I need to put self-love and self-care in terms of actually taking care of my mind, body, and soul first. So prioritize myself nourish myself. Yes to bubble baths. Yes to manicures, all those things. I get it. But really on a deeper level, it's about reflecting on, well, okay. So if I want to be a present mother, what does that take for me? It means that I need to understand what my reactions are. Okay. I'm being reactive today. Let me figure out why, what triggered that? What was that thought process? So it's more of an internal process. My work is really about getting to know your inner landscape, getting to know what allows you to show up as the best possible version of you. And to me, over the last five years of teaching self-care, I have just found that there are certain principles on a daily, like it's a little tiny things that you do every day. That's why those letters to me are perfect. It's right there. You're showing your commitment, Garth, to your daughter 
through a practice. You're not just talking about how much you love her. You're showing her. You're showing up every day. And I'm sure there were some days where you're like, oh, I don't feel good or whatever. You know, but you do it. You do it anyway because you understand that it's the tiny daily commitments to yourself that allow you to build relationships over time. So I can talk about this a long time. <laughs> There's a lot to it. And I teach a year-long program on self-care. But I think at the basic foundation, self-care is tending prioritizing to tending your and nourishing your inner world so that you can be that version of yourself in all of the most important relationships in your life. Mm, it's beautiful. So what are some of your favorite little self-care rituals that you have found with working with your clients that people tend to really, I don't know, your most popular ones, if you will. Yeah, that's easy because it has become so clear over the last several years, the thing that I teach the most, the thing that I'm asked to talk about the most, and that I finally, finally turned into a challenge. And a, it's in my membership program, but I haven't really led with it publicly. But now I am because I know it's what works. And it's the magic morning practice. And it's what I started doing for myself when I was in a really... So when my son was born, he was about two or three years old, I was having a physical crisis and I was having just my autoimmune system was, I don't know, crashing. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. Like I didn't know about autoimmune disease. I didn't really know what was happening, but the stress of moving to a new place, leaving my family, starting my own family, just all of it sort of came together. And over what, what, what I was doing to myself over the last 10 years before I had my son by hustling and working and not really taking care of myself, not having that awareness in the way that I do now, I developed an autoimmune disease <laughs> and I'm symptom free now, I'm totally fine. But in the past, it was basically, I was exhausted all the time. I was having digestive issues and pain. I had every test you can find in the world and no one could find anything. And finally, this one doctor did a blood test, discovered what was happening. So I was able to start healing through diet and lifestyle changes, better sleep, removing things from my diet, the whole thing. My son too, because autoimmune is actually, you can pass it on to your children. So I gratefully gave him this gift that he had to do everything I was doing in terms of diet and lifestyle. He was very little, so he had very little choice. I was just feeding him what I was eating. But what happened during that time is I started going to this yoga class and started reconnecting with my body, started tapping into my emotions again and what was really happening, started journaling again. And this particular yoga teacher was also a therapist and she challenged me to start doing yoga and journaling, just some, some of their like spiritual practices every morning. And I was resistant to it for the longest time because sleep is precious when you have a little one. And so I, I was like resisting it for the longest time. Finally, I thought, okay, I can give myself five minutes in the morning to do some yoga. And that's just how it started. Five minute commitment for a week or two weeks. And I started noticing that not only was I feeling a little better in my body, but I was actually more patient with my son and he was little. So his toddler, you know, toddlers can challenge your patience on a minute by minute basis. I was actually able to notice my reaction and have that little bit of a gap to say, okay, I see what's going on here. Like, let's go outside. Let's take a walk. So that really started the momentum of that. So I started my own morning practice over a decade ago, about five years ago, I started teaching it in a very specific way. I have three steps in the morning, one step to address your mind, one step to address your body, and one step to address your soul. If all you have is three minutes, and I say if you don't have three minutes to dedicate to yourself in the morning, we have a bigger issue at play here. <laughs> Most likely a mindset issue of like giving yourself permission to do it. Because the challenges that I've run, the women that actually do it, they post 
their video like testimonials in the group sharing that day's practice. And there's tears and there's mm. awakenings. And there's like, I can't believe how profound profoundly different my day is or wow I never even thought or I danced I haven't danced alone ever and now I move my body and I feel better like there's comment after comment sharing how profound the shift is from taking three minutes for yourself I say if you have an hour take an hour if you say you're busy fine take three minutes and I, I show you exactly how to do that so the way you start your day is the way you show up in the world so that baseline commitment can really start to shift things yeah, I think that is such a good point. We, we've talked about that and we've had a lot of guests that have shared with us just the benefits of having a daily routine, like a way that you start your day that helps you feel grounded or connect with your body and, and show up really as your best self. And so I love hearing about everyone's versions of their morning practices uh, because it's so interesting and there's so many different ways that you can have a morning practice, but I think what you're saying is have one, figure out what works for you and then stick with it. And you're right. If you don't have three minutes to give to yourself, then there is probably a bigger problem. And it's that permission or maybe you don't feel like you're worthy of three minutes. But I think what what we found and what a lot of our guests have said is that once you kind of start that, you're going to love it so much that you're probably going to make sure you have at least three minutes and it, it probably will evolve into something a little bit longer. Absolutely. And I've seen women do it so creatively, you know, from dancing to yoga. The thing that really, the movement, of course, is very, very important. The thing that surprises me is how people express the morning writing part of it. I've had women draw, I've had women write storytelling, dream reflection, all kinds of things. It doesn't really matter what it is, but there's something about that morning hour, like mm -hmm. on a spiritual level, there is an opportunity there, an energetic opportunity to quiet your mind, I mean, the biggest thing that I see people do, and I'm so guilty of this, I'll tell you, it's like, it's like my pet peeve about myself. <laughs> like I teach this stuff, but grabbing that phone first thing in the morning is yes. giving, giving yourself away to the world. We all, I mean, I think we can all relate to that, right? Yeah, it's right. so easy. And I, I get frustrated with myself when I do that because you're right. Like we all teach this. And then sometimes I find myself <laughs> saying like, why are you on your phone, Dara? What are you doing? Right. Um, and then it definitely like, it just impacts my whole entire day because I don't do my normal morning practice. And then I say, okay, I'll just fit it in later. And then life gets in the way and I don't fit it in. And then, you know, before I know it, I just haven't even done it. And it totally changes the whole entire, the landscape of the day. Absolutely. I just say someday self-care and later self-care never happen. So, you know, <laughs> so as, as I'm listening to this, I want to share two observations. One is that it's, I think that it's fairly evident that men desperately need to practice these things and they don't. It's, it's just evidence through the language that you've used, you know, the women that I work with. And part of what I did why I started sharing the fact that I was writing these notes to my daughter was to encourage other dads to pick up that practice. And it took me a long time to realize that the dads weren't paying attention. The moms were, the daughters were, the, the grandmas were, and the aunts were, but the dads just didn't really care. And the other thing is that I'm, I'm a huge geek. I know that we've just what? met and, and you don't know this, but I love gadgets and gizmos and I actually have a really hard rule that I don't use my phone for anything that's work or email related until it's time to start working. 
Mm. Because if I see a good email or a bad email, it immediately sucks me into whatever that next step is going to be. And yes, I probably need to check the weather and I want to make sure that, you know, whatever my day might need to be, I like to review my calendar for a couple of seconds before I go to bed or first thing when I wake up, just so that I can get a mindset of where I need to be and when. But I really don't look at any work texts, any work emails or anything like that until it's time for me to start working because I I need that time to myself. One of the reasons why writing these notes became so easy for me is that I was the one in the family who was always awake an hour before everybody else. So I had that time to make Emma's lunch and write her a note and probably have a cup of coffee and read a little bit before anybody else was making any noise in the house. I love so that. Elena, I've got two questions for you. One, what time do you get up in the morning? I'm just curious. <laughs> and, um, and be honest. And then two, do you sleep with your, like, is your phone in your bedroom? Is it your alarm clock? Like, I'm just kind of curious. Okay. So yes, for, yes. <laughs> I want to come back to the men and self-care thing. Cause I, I am so curious and I've thought about this a lot. And so I want to come back to that for sure. So let's put a pin in that and remember that. Okay. okay. So in terms of waking up in the morning, it shifts based on our schedule and my schedule. I believe very strongly that your morning routine actually starts the night before. So mm -hmm. if you are committed to a morning routine, then you're telling yourself, okay, if I want to wake up at X time and I don't really care what time it is, whatever, 5am, great. 10am. Awesome. Like I, I'm not going to tell you what your body clock does. Mm -hmm. I know according to the Chinese medicine wheel, there are more auspicious times to go to bed. There's times your digestion works better. Like at 10pm mm -hmm. and you're sleeping, your, your digestion is going to heal better. Mm -hmm. just, I mean, if you're interested in that kind of medicine and philosophy, do some research, see what happens. But what I'm very committed to is giving you awareness that if you are giving yourself the idea to wake up a little earlier, half an hour. So you're going to try half an hour, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, doesn't matter. So you normally wake up at eight, you're going to wake up at 745 to give yourself a little time to journal, maybe do some stretches and meditate for a few minutes. Great. What a great commitment you just made. But oh, okay, in the nighttime, you're staying up watching your favorite, whatever yeah. show until 10, 11. Oops, it's midnight. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's 1 a.m. Like I really need my sleep. Not only do you need your sleep, which is a great thing to have, but the texture of your morning is going to be so filled with a shame for staying up too late. Your body is going to need to sleep in because I mean, you know, say six o'clock, I don't know, whatever your, whatever your schedule is. You're, and you're going to be like, oh, see, I stayed up too late. Now I need to sleep in. I'll try again tomorrow. And that's kind of the cycle people get into. So I would say if you are interested in just curious, what would happen if you started a morning routine? Would it work for me? I don't know. And I have a free video. I've been giving this away for five years. Thousands of people have done it. It's it's just a very simple three-step, like how do you make your own morning routine? Try to commit to that nighttime routine of people say like, you know, the blue light is really bad for you, keeps you up. It, it mm -hmm. helps people sleep well. It keeps you in that fear mindset. It's easier to have the self-doubt. You tend to snack more at night. Guilty of that too. Mm -hmm. I the same exact human tendencies as everyone else does. I have those nights where I stay up until midnight by accident eating a bowl of corn chips, like totally do that. Not all the time, very rarely, but when I do, I'm like, oh, look at that, I'm human. But most of the time, I'm very committed to being off my phone, reading a book if I want to, playing with my son if he's home. My husband works at night, four nights of the week, so sometimes it's just us, so we do something fun, and I try to get him to bed early, and I have my own routine of skincare and like, you know, mm -hmm. shower. I've created 
a space in my bedroom that I want to go to. So I never turn on the big light in my room at night. It's only a little salt lamp that has a beautiful little glow. I have my bedside table. It's pretty decluttered. It just has a journal and a book that I'm reading, maybe three. You know, I have a very like soft comforter. I have a pillow that I invested in. So I'm looking forward to getting into bed. That's a really big thing you can do is the first thing you could do is declutter your bedroom and create a sacred space. And that just means a space that you want to be in because a lot of people don't want to go into their bedroom because they have clothes lying on the floor. Mm -hmm. They don't love being in bed. Does it feel good? And women are very visceral embodied beings. We need to have the texture. We need to have the, you know, the beauty around us. So that's a really good first step is to create a little nest for yourself that you want to get into earlier and just try to keep make a promise to yourself to just try it one or two days. So the likelihood of you waking up earlier is much higher. So for me, in general, if I sleep past eight, I get a little groggy. It hasn't always been like that. I used to love to sleep in late, especially when my son was little. I had my best dreams between eight and nine a.m. <laughs> like they were so mm-hmm. Um, But now I usually set my alarm between 6 and 6.30, sometimes 6.45, depending on the the evening before, because I have a very robust morning routine. (laughs) I love to wake up. I do some stretching while I'm in bed. And so to answer your second question, I do have my phone with me. It's always on airplane mode up there because I use it as a meditation device too. I I fall asleep to meditation every night. And my husband is a police officer. So first thing in the morning, I do check to make sure he got home okay. And like, so that's part of my little bit of like, you know, calming down myself. I could see he's home. He's fine. Like I, cause I, I made a decision a long time ago to sleep with it on airplane mode, even though he's out in the field. Mm-hmm. I needed, I needed to have that. I, I, I told him, I was like, Oh, half jokingly sometimes like God forbid anything happens. At least I'll have a good night's sleep to deal with it in the morning. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> got a good sense of humor too. So <laughs> and, and Dara knows this about me. And so I come from a very long line of morticians. Oh my gosh. Okay. And, um, and I've always, you can say that. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, you know, uh, there, are, there are a handful of us still around, but, and I've always joked with my mom and before my dad passed away with my dad as well. And I was like, look, you know, if, if something really bad happens in the middle of the night, don't call me because the, the change will, you know, nothing's going to change between 2am and 7am, except that you're going to wake me up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So, so funny. I have a good sense of humor to say that and some like reality check. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so well, funny. What's interesting, I was hearing you talk about the blue light and 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 putting your phone in airplane mode. The Today Show actually today yeah, was talking I about the that, blue right? light. With the, and, with the glasses. Right. And they had these special glasses so that the blue light would be yeah. not getting into your eyes. And all I could think of is, you know how else the blue light can't get into your eyes? Mm-hmm. If your phone is off. Yeah. So, oh, of okay. course... Garth, you'll appreciate this, especially like my husband, Elena, he does not follow that rule. He loves his phone and his iPad in our bed. So I'm, I've got my eye mask on and that's kind of like the way that I've learned to manage that. But so of me, I immediately was like, John, you know, you have to get these glasses or, cause I've been always telling him like literally three or four times a week, like everyone says research shows that it's going to definitely impact your sleep and it is impacting his sleep. And so it was on the Today Show today, right? So that was great. Uh-huh. My husband falls asleep to the news on his phone too and wakes up to it. So we have this conversation all the time. But, you know, I guess what I've learned is, and this really comes back to the conversation we were having about the morning practice, about all of it. Like you can't make someone do anything, but what you can do is do it well yourself. 
around you will start to gravitate. Like in my life, one of the stories that I tell about my son when he was probably in second grade, I've been doing my morning practice since he was about two years old. And I never like, he just, he's been a baby. I had a thing of toys for him. I have my strategies that I can help moms with. If they have little, little ones, I still think you can do it. He, one day I woke him up and for school and he looked at me like he does every day. And he's like, mom, why are you so happy when you wake me up? Mm. Well, I've just done my dancing. I did my writing. I did my meditation. And so I'm just like, I'm happy. I'm ready to go. And he looked at me and said, I want to do a morning practice too. And so in my mind, I just think, goodness, something in my mind said, don't tell him what to do. Just wait. (laughs) I said, okay, well, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I want you to wake me up 20 minutes early so I can lay in bed because he loves lounging in bed. And then I want to take a bath. Like, oh, so cute. It's like this little guy, right? And so talk about, you know, Garth, like you said, a lot of men don't have this as a practice, but here I am as a mom teaching my son what it's like to have his own morning thing. Now he's a teenager, so it's totally different. He can sleep until practically 10. But (laughs) when he was younger, he did for years, he would wake up, I'd wake him up specifically 20 minutes early, and then I'd start the bath about 10 minutes later. So it took a few minutes to fill up. And I told him when the bath was ready, he'd walk over, I'd put a little lavender in there, Mm -hmm. a little salt. And there he is taking his bath in the morning while I'm getting ready. I mean, it transformed our mornings from hurried, get your socks on, let's go brush your teeth, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go to all right, when you're done with your bath, get dressed, I'll be downstairs making breakfast. It was just the flow changed completely. It was never terrible, but I remember mornings where I'm like, oh, I yelled again. I can't believe it. Here I am, like the self-care teacher. And I'm just like, oh, you know, mean. <laughs> I mean, like my version of mean is probably not like the typical, but I know in myself. It was who you wanted to be. Yeah. It was who I wanted to be. And now I think what a gift I'm giving to whoever he ends up partnering with in the future. He's got a tool, whether he uses it now or later or never, whatever. I gave it to him. He could use it how he wants to, you know? And so I think we can teach the people around us how to do that. So. Well, and, he, and, and he can have some experience so that even, even though he may, might not use those specific tools in the future, mm-hmm. he has a toolbox, right? Exactly. So he can say, all right, this is, this is the tool that I'm going to use now. Let's say I'm in college and I'm stressing out about finals or midterms. These are the tools that I'm going to use now because guess what? Bathtubs really don't exist in dorms. Right. So, right. Or if they do, right. you definitely don't want him to yeah, go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that. Well, let's talk a little bit about men and self-care. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I feel and, like. Is that an intro, Dara, for me? No, but it's, <laughs> and Elena, I feel like, you know, this is like a whole market that you definitely need to like tap into and help. Um, all these men yeah. who, um, I mean, Garth, I think you really are sort of the exception to the rule because you're so open to wanting to explore all of this and like whatever self-care things that you take away from today, you're going to be totally open to trying them because that's just, I think it's, you're unusual in that regard. Well, sure. But I have to say that before I had cancer, I don't know that, yeah. I don't know that self-care was at the, even a something that I could verbalize. Mm-hmm. So I would go to the gym or, and, and actually for me, exercise, I like aggressive exercise. So I prefer to run on trails. I don't want to run on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. I don't want to run on the street. I want to run through the woods and have some, some type of visceral experience. You know, there's this joke about, you know, how, uh, I, I don't exactly remember how it goes, but it's something like, oh, you don't like this? Well, there's a group of us who meet to complain about it. And we meet at a bar and it's called everybody. 
<laughs> and and so I think that a lot of men, you know, their self-care practice is negligible because we haven't been given tools. We have no idea how to practice self-care outside of our doctors telling us to go to the gym. Yeah. I, you know, I have so much curiosity around men and self-care and I don't think I have the answer. I think the closest that I've come is the conversations that I've had with my husband because he's sort of like, I can pick his brain. He's got this real masculine part of him, but he also has the ability to communicate feelings really, really well. So I can ask him questions and get some really good reflections. And for him, I, again, like with my son, I was very careful to, not careful as in I was you know, worried that something would happen. But I just know for myself, change has to come from inside. I can go to the gym every single day and tell you to go to the gym, but you won't go until you're ready to go. And so this, I've seen this happen with him since I've been practicing my own version of physical, emotional, spiritual self-care. A few years ago, must be four or five years ago now, he just one day decided <laughs> to start going to the gym. And then he went religiously and he's been doing it for years. You know, a year ago, he started going to martial arts jujitsu class committed. He's been over to over a hundred classes, like, but it came from him. It's his version. And like you said, your self-care, you, you like to run in the trail. You're very clear what your body needs and how you want to experience it. And I think that's the key to, and maybe it's not even called self-care for men. Maybe it's called something else because maybe there's too much of a, of like a connotation with the word. Maybe it is too much in a, a women's discussion. Maybe there is some other way to do it because I think some men will resonate with it. Like you're open to it, but for some men, it's going to like slide off of them like a duck, you know, like, like water off a duck's feather. Like what do you, what do you need to hear in order to understand that there's an awareness and there is a desire within you to cultivate your mindset to cultivate the way you show up is it self-care is it awareness is it mindset is it presence i don't know i mean i I've, I've had male mentors in my coaching world and some are very open and understand exactly what i'm talking about when i do self-care but for them it's like surfing or hiking or it's a very it's a very different definition so i think part of it for men is is get giving you permission to define it however you define it if you want to add the typical you know, baths and pedicures, great. But I don't think that's what it needs to be about. So I'd just love to hear some reflection on, I guess, what I said. I would first comment that I think that you have a very unique opportunity mm -hmm. to make self-care something that really resonates in the male community. Because if you could get a bunch of first responders... Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, think about that because those are guys that we like to emulate, right? There are heroes. Mm -hmm. And so if, if I were to see a bunch of my heroes doing something and, like and meditating, medi or, you know, frankly, yeah. it doesn't matter, right? Maybe, maybe that, maybe they do silent kayaking, yeah. right? Who knows what that is? I would see that as an opportunity for me to say, oh gosh, here's somebody that I actually admire and I think that this is something I need to do. And that's some, that is, in fact, an observation that I make even within my own peer group. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if there is a close friend of mine who is doing something and I think that what they're doing is good for them, whether it's their heart or their soul or whatever, I think, oh, that's maybe something I should emulate. Maybe it's not exactly the right thing for me, but I'll, I'll take a look at that. And I think that that's an opportunity that you could use. Here's my other observation. And this is just because I'm a very sarcastic person. I'm a wordsmith. I don't care what you call it. Yeah. I think that men, we need to kind of like get over ourselves. You know, there are plenty of men who get manicures. I don't. My wife used to give them to me before job interviews back in the day. 
and that's nice. But to be honest, for me, it's just kind of a boring experience. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I liken it to getting a haircut, which again is one of the most boring experiences I can have because it's just me sitting there being very passive. The key, I think, is is to uh, it, it's the next thing that you say. Yeah. Right. right. It, it's not the it's not the word self care or it's not the word you know wh whatever whatever we decide to call it. It's that next sentence, that next group of 10 words. Yeah. That's the important thing. And that's going to hook the guys. Mm -hmm. I love your idea about the first responders. I just had this conversation with my husband because for years I've been telling him like meditation is the thing. Like you got, everyone's got to yeah. meditate five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever. And he's always been saying to me, like, I don't want to be soft on the job. I need to be hard. I need to show up hard because when mm -hmm. I'm on the street, my energy is everything. He gets it, right? He gets it. Mm -hmm. And I said to him just, re just a few days ago, that's like a dinner table conversation, having this conversation. I said, you know, actually meditation is the thing that's going to make you so present and so keenly aware of your surroundings mm -hmm. that nothing going to mess with you. That's the thing. You want to control your mind so that no one else can invade that. Like that's the thing that meditation does. It gets you present, gets you clear, gets you, you know, I was giving him the whole bonus list of, of benefits from meditation. And I said, wouldn't it be amazing? We'd have this conversation because I have two business partners in another business and both of their husbands are firefighters and my husband's a police officer. So we have this whole like very masculine warrior you know, part of our marriages. And one of the husbands who's a firefighter is starting to teach energetic practices to the firemen. And I asked him, like, what is it like? Are they receptive? He said, actually, it depends on how you frame it. If you can frame it as, you know, some like strategy, they're open to it. Like, especially the firefighters who are out there having traumatic experiences, they don't want to talk about it. He's like, they don't want to talk about it. They just want to go work out and move on. Like, but if you can get them to talk about it, it's amazing. It's transformative. So I said the same thing to my husband. I'm like, imagine if you, as he's a leader in his department, imagine if all of the officers who you work with started their shift with a little bit of mindful breathing and getting present and getting clear and letting go of what they, you know, their family concerns. Now they're present. He's like, you know, if you called it tactical breathing, they'd probably do it. But if you call it like <laughs> self-care meditation. I love it lost them. Yeah, I think you're onto something. I, the word. <laughs> so this isn't exactly the same thing, but um, I'll, I'll share an experience that I have that has been very powerful in the last four or five years of my life. So I joined the Knights of Columbus. And for those listeners to the Thrive podcast, I know that you've heard me talk about this from time to time, but the Knights of Columbus is a, a charitable organization that is typically associated with a particular Catholic church. And all we do is volunteer work. Right. So we literally get together once a month and plan out all of the volunteer activities that we have for the next 30 days. And then we go do those volunteer activities. But one of the most powerful things that I have ever witnessed and I've been a part of is that every meeting we stand up and we pray for each other mm. and we pray for the people that have concerns. And we, you know, if you think about it from a certain point of view, that's a bunch of guys being soft. But it's also a bunch of guys who are willing to stand up and say, here's a problem that I have in my life right now, and I need help with it. The first time it happened, it was kind of strange for me. So I can imagine where if you get a bunch of these first responders together and they're practicing breathing exercises, that first time, it might be really odd for them. But again, reframing it so that it's just like me and they're tr running on trails. It is a more visceral experience. It's more in tune with nature. And reframing it away from, oh, I need to go run to exercise 
to I need to go experience nature and like jump over logs and, you know, pretend that I'm a caveman for a couple of minutes. Mm. You know, I was even thinking about as you were talking about this in journaling, I don't journal well, I really am practicing at it. And I don't think that I'm doing a really good job at it. But I have been writing napkin notes for a long time. And so I've been writing something almost every day. And generally, it's one or two sentences. And that's a form of journaling. The reason why I do that is to connect with my daughter. And the reason why a man could journal is so that there's a record for his children later. My dad grew up in, you know, he was born in the, the mid 50s, I guess. And, you know, typical small town man, ate a lot of meat, ate a lot of fried vegetables, drank a lot, smoked a lot, and died when he was early 60s. I have one thing in my whole life where he has handwritten a note to me. Whereas if we teach these men to journal, and it doesn't have to be great. My napkin notes, they're one or two sentences, and a lot of them are pretty average. But Emma has this handwritten record of my feelings and my beliefs and how I support her as a young woman and how I supported her as a young girl. Imagine that gift that we leave our children. If at 18, we say to our, our child, hey, by the way, here are all the thoughts that I've had about you. Yeah, that's beautiful. You just totally gave me insight, which I had to write down because I'm so I, I so strongly believe in the magic of the morning practice. And I know people teach it in different ways. And I teach it the way I teach it. And specifically what you just said, I've never even thought of. And I thought, you know, as I start writing, I have this series in mind of like magic morning practice for women, magic morning practice for couples, many, for kids, for and now for men. I never even thought about my whole body has chills right now because yes. because how else? I mean, what a gift, you know, what a gift. I mean, your dad, my dad, my husband's dad, there's a generation of men who there's a very small percentage who had that like awareness of maybe small. I don't know. I'm probably skewed because I just the, the older men that I've met, you know, a little bit more old, old school, traditional kind of my oh, way. I think you're right. Race type of thing. I mean, th th it, it was mad men. Yeah. Right. Or or farmers. Right. or laborers, right? And, and, and these guys were, I quote unquote, men's men. Right. And they weren't writing in a diary. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> Which is fine. You know, it's not a, it's not a way of expression. I get it. But there is this generation of men that I see the, the partners of the women that I know, and the men that I get to meet in the world, the, the mentors that I've had are so more open to, it's not so much about I'm hyper masculine or hyper feminine, you're, you know, there's ways of expressing both that feel really powerful to both communication wise, physical, like just how you're how you are in the in the family life or the home life much more involved. So those are the men I really would love to hear what you just said. And to, I'm going to have to pick your brain again, because I think that keeping your record for your kids is probably would be at the top of the list. Because I think like right now, my husband's dad actually is in his late seventies and he, he's been very, like, he was also, uh, he was a chief of police, like very masculine kind of old school guy. And right now he's writing He's like, I feel like I want to give you something. Like, I want to give my children something. So he's starting to try to document, which is great. But how much do you lose along the way, right? So, which is a beautiful gift he's going to give. But if you can have that as an intention, I think that could be very transformative for them in terms of not, because when you start journaling, one of the benefits, like if you keep a gratitude list, 
one of the things that automatically almost unconsciously happen is that you're looking for things to be grateful for. And then at the end of the day, when you're wrapping that container, Mm -hmm. if you're writing at night, your mind just kind of goes back and starts to pull them and in a very fresh, it's different from morning practice. Morning practice is like you're looking forward, you're planning, you're creating. At the end of the day, you're wrapping up, you're processing, you're healing, you're remembering, you're, you know, it's a very different type of writing. But if you have a practice like that, what a huge gift. You've just given me like a whole epiphany. So thank you for that. That's awesome. As we finish up, I'm going to go copyright all of that so that yeah. I can get royalties for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, Dara and I have been kind of kicking around how we can create a best practices journal. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the struggles that I've always had myself is that most of the journals are written by women for women. And and I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that some of the things that I see there, I'll admit they're a little bit too touchy-feely for me. I can absolutely access that part of me from time to time, but <laughs> Dara's looking like, really, you can? Um, but but there, there's there's a part of me who just like just wants to go kick ass. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, well, I love I, that. We could talk to you all day long. I know, me too. I know. I just looked at the time too. <laughs> so fun. But, um, you know, we are so appreciative and I want to be really mindful of your time. Please tell our listeners where they can go, how they can learn more about you and, and get your different practices and your free, I think you have a free morning practice that you give. Yeah. So if you want to do part two, I'm totally in. There's so much more we could talk about. <laughs> but- <laughs> Those of you who want to find my magic morning practice, which is a great place to start, the two places to find it are on my website, elenalipson.com forward slash gift. And you can just sign up right there or on my Instagram account, which is Elena underscore Lipson. And on the little link, but if you click that link, a little link tree bio comes up with three different things you can do. One is listen to my podcast. One is sign up for my wait list for my circle membership. But the top one is or it might be in the middle now. I have to go check. It says three-step magic morning practice. Just click it and it'll take you right to a place to download it. And you can start today and just do your version. Commit to a minute for like a day or two. But notice, notice how it shifts your day. And so that's my gift to you. Enjoy it. I just, I feel like I'm changing the world one morning at a time. <laughs> I love that so yeah, much. That's awesome. And we will put all of those links in the show notes, of course. Awesome. So one of one of the things we do on the Thrive Podcast is I take a look at the archives of all of the notes that I've ever written to Emma, and I try to find one that is applicable to the episode. A lot of people don't realize this, that whenever I started sharing these notes, so Emma was probably in fourth grade or fifth grade, give or take, I started taking pictures of them and then cataloging them. Lisa, my wife, just asked me yesterday about one of the notes that she had written, and I said, oh, I have it. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I've taken a picture of all of them. She said, yeah, but how you'll find it. And I said, well, I also put in the keywords, right? So so I, I'm such a geek that I do this. And so it didn't take me that long because I knew the note that I wanted to pull out. I actually just wrote it to her in November. And it says, dear Emma, you have one mind, one body, one heart, and one soul. Take good care of them. Love, Dad. That's sweet. Love that so much. And I wrote that because I knew she was going into finals. It's her first semester in college. There's a lot of opportunities to have stress in your life. Mm. And she really needed to understand that taking care of those things, that that's it, right? You've got one. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here today. We are so appreciative and know that our listeners will have taken away just a plethora of lots of great tips and tools. I'm Dara, creator of crazyperfectlife.com. And I'm Garth Callahan, the Napkin Notes Dad. You can find out more about me at napkinnotesdad.com. And stay tuned for part two because we will definitely have our guest back (laughs) on sometime in the future. We would love that. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Thrive is created by Dara Kurtz of Crazy Perfect Life and Garth Callahan, the Napkin Notes Dad, with the hope that we help you develop motivation and inspiration to make your life remarkable. It would mean so much to us if you shared this with your friends and family and left us a review on iTunes. Remember, you deserve to thrive. Thrive Podcast is copyrighted by Dara and Garth.